Welcome to our 6pm podcast. My name's Pete Stacey. I'm the evening pastor here at Shaw Harbour City Anglican Church. Whether you're a regular member at our evening congregation or you've joined us for the very first time online, I'm so glad you can be with us tonight. Uh, a little later, we're going to be sharing in the Lord's Supper. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I'd ask that you have a piece of bread and a, a cup of juice or wine ready to go uh, at the right time. I was really struck this week. I saw a, a post on Facebook from a friend who's uh, got a, a number of young kids at home trying to balance schooling for different age groups and uh, keep everyone cheerful and motivated. And it just wasn't happening. And they're really at breaking point. And they just shared quite honestly about that in their post. But what really struck me was that within two hours, over a hundred others had commented, either empathizing or, and many were just simply identifying with the struggles that they're going through at the moment. Now I know COVID-19 has been affecting us all in different ways, some a little, some a lot. But I wanted to begin our service tonight with a special prayer for those who are struggling in particular ways. Uh, friends, will you join with me now as we pray, and then we're going to sing together God's praises. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us and care for us and know what we need even before we ask. Thank you that because you entered our world in the person of Jesus, you know what it's like to be in a family, to learn at home, to work and to do business and to, to experience the best and the worst of those around you. Thank you that you understand our weaknesses. And so tonight, as we begin our time together, I just want to ask that you deeply encourage and comfort those who are struggling, uh, struggling with life and family and all the changes to routine uh, because of the coronavirus. Please give us all the, the patience and endurance and godliness that we so desperately need. Help us to relate to one another in ways that help and not harm. And help us to look to you for strength. Thank you that you're with us now, and Lord, I ask that you bless our time together in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, friends, let's join our voices and sing together.
friends at Shell Harbour City Anglican Church. My name is Amy Stevens. I'm one of your Link missionaries. So I'd like to invite you to have a Zoom chat with me on Thursday night, uh, the 7th of May, and we're going to meet from 8pm till 9pm, your time. So I really hope that you can come online and um, that we can chat together. Friends, it's my privilege to be able to read the Bible with you today. Uh, we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 9. Alabado sea Dios, Padre de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just got to change it back to English. I'm sure um, that will be helpful for everybody. <laughs> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hi, my name is John Thorpe. I'm the minister here at Shell Harbour City Anglican. And as we get into this passage from 1 Peter, let me pray. Uh, that God might speak to us. Dear Lord, I pray that my words might be faithful to your word, and I pray that we might know deeply the joy of your salvation. Amen. One of the sad realities of familiarity is that we lose our sense of awe and wonder. So we live in a beautiful part of the world, down here in Shell Harbour, but we can drive down the highway or you know, over the crest on Pioneer Drive and completely miss the, the beauty and the, the ruggedness of the escarpment. Uh, we go to the beach and we like the beach, but we just no longer go, wow, you know, isn't this place incredible? But we can also do it with more significant things in life. So we can take for granted our marriage. We can take for granted family or friends. And if you've been a Christian for a while, we can take God's God for granted, his goodness and grace to us. And you know, we, we no longer quite feel quite so alive and exuberant as perhaps we did when we first started out. And the danger of that is that we can end up missing all the good and just seeing the things that we perceive to be difficult. Or we start looking you know, outside of God's goodness for that sense of meaning and purpose and that feeling of being alive again. Or perhaps it just all feels too hard. And we're just sick of criticism and perhaps that feeling of, of being persecuted or feeling like we're an outsider. And so in the end, you know, we're just tempted to give up. You know, perhaps life would just be better and easier over there. You know, as humans, we're not built to live in a state of constant emotional euphoria. That's just not how life is. And so sometimes we do need to be reminded, don't we? You know, for someone to say, stop and see that what you have is good and to be thankful. As Peter writes this letter, he's writing to non-Jewish Christians who are living in the Roman Empire. 
but he uses a lot of Jewish language. So he wants to connect their experience with the experience of Israel. But he also wants them to see how God is fulfilling his promises to Israel, not just to one nation, but to all nations and for all people. And so last week we looked at how uh, these Christians uh, were living as God's elect people, chosen by God, uh, but also living as exiles in the world. And in this passage, he then goes on to explore, well, what does that really look like and what does that mean? And I love the language of this passage because it doesn't just describe what God is doing or how he's doing it, but he, you know, he reaches out and wants us to feel what God is doing. He wants us to feel the joy of God's grace and mercy and his salvation. As we get into this passage today, I'm going to look at it under four headings. And for those who like to sort of see the structure of where we're going, I'll put up a slide just showing the transition for each point. So follow along with me. Let's, uh, we'll start the passage looking at verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth is a rather graphic and messy image, but it's also beautiful and it represents the fresh start we can have in Christ, where we get to let go of all of that past baggage. And it's not that we forget the past or deny the past, but we get to look forward to a fresh start, to what this passage describes as a living hope. You know, so often hope is more wishful thinking than reality, but there's just enough in it to keep us going. And so for the person who plays lotto, they don't actually think they're going to win. They don't go out and buy a house in anticipation of their numbers coming up next week. But they do keep on going because there's this tiny chance that it just might be possible. But that's not the hope that we have in Christ. Our hope is in the God who is in control, who is fulfilling all things according to his purposes and plans. And so he can absolutely guarantee an outcome. And he shows us that we can trust in that guarantee when we look at the events of the resurrection. And so last week we read how Christians are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, which is an even more graphic image than the idea of new birth. But it connects with the Old Testament sacrificial system where a bull was killed as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it connects with our experience of Jesus dying on the cross and him paying the price for our sin so that we might be forgiven. You know, God is just and God is judge. And so if we reject his rule over our life, if we refuse to listen when he tells us how to live, then the Bible calls that sin. And I think there's sort of two very common reactions to sin. The first is to be overwhelmed with guilt. You know, we look at our sin and there is just so much of it. It just feels like it's piled up everywhere. And it might not be sort of fridge-sized sin. It might not be things like adultery or assault or stealing a car. But there is just so much of it. And as much as we hate it in ourselves, we keep doing it. And we can't seem to change our behaviour. I think for that person, then, they understand the seriousness of sin and the justice of God. But they haven't completely appreciated just how much Jesus has achieved on the cross, where our sins can be completely forgiven. He has paid the price for all of our sins, so it no longer gets held over our head. God is not going to bring it up again next time we do the wrong thing. 
We have a completely fresh start in Christ. The other reaction is to trivialise sin to something that doesn't really warrant that much attention or God's displeasure. And it's as much about our attitude to God as our behaviour. And so we feel that God should be for us, uh, that God should be giving us a good life, but we don't feel any sense of mutual obligation. Uh, And we certainly don't feel any sense of remorse for our sin. In fact, we'll often even justify our sin. You know, this is how God has created me to be. So how could God be angry uh, or punish me for simply being true to myself? And of course, that sort of argument you know, doesn't work in our legal system and it doesn't work before God. You know, we can't say, well, I'm naturally an angry person, so it's okay if I hit people. You know, we don't accept that type of argument. And certainly if that is us, then we are failing to see just how much we needed our sin paid for on the cross and just how serious our sin is. You know, Jesus didn't die on the cross as a godly example of self-sacrifice. And he didn't die on the cross to teach us a pithy life lesson. He died because sin is serious and sin will send us to hell if we don't do something about it. And so we desperately need the events of the cross. And the resurrection confirms that Jesus really is qualified to pay the price for our sin. And so we can be confident that our sin is forgiven, that justice is done and that forgiveness can now be offered. And if we're willing to accept Jesus standing in our place and paying the price for our sin, and if we're willing to accept his authority over our life, then the Bible calls that faith. So we have faith that Jesus does secure our salvation and we have faith as we live in obedience to him and according to his will. Faith can certainly be blind and superstitious, uh, but that's not the faith that we have. Our faith is in the real objective events of the resurrection and the object of our faith is Jesus, who's already demonstrated his power and love. And so we can be confident that he is for us. And that faith looks forward to, verse 4, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's not the strength of our faith that guarantees our inheritance. It's our faith in the one who has strength. The entire history of the Old Testament is one big case study in why we need God to be the one who does the saving. So for Israel, God demonstrates his love by rescuing them out of Egypt and into the land that he promised to Abraham. And as they go into that land, God gives them everything they need to live according to his will. And so he says to them, this is how you to live. And if you do the right thing, I will bless you. And if you do the wrong thing, there'll be consequences. So this is how the book of Leviticus puts it. Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them so that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I am going to drive out before you, because they did all these things. I abhorred them. But I say to you, you will possess the land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has set you apart from the nations. 
so they have all the information and all the motivation to commit themselves to God. But as we know, they won't be faithful to that commitment and in the end they lose their inheritance. And that's why we need God to be the one who does the saving because our whole nature conspires against us. And that's why we need God to be the one who holds on to us to the end. Yeah, imagine getting stuck out in the middle of the ocean where you can see the shore and you're swimming and you're swimming and you're swimming, but it doesn't matter how hard you swim, the currents just seem to pull you further away. And you get to a point where you're so despairing that even if someone held out their hand and said, you know, grab on, we just wouldn't have the strength to do it. Yeah, if you can imagine that, then you can imagine just how wonderful it is to know that God is the one who grabs onto us. And God is the one who will hold on to us to the end. And God's plan for our inheritance was always bigger than simply a geographic place in the Middle East. Uh, it always looked forward to an eternal home where we would live in perfect relationship with God, in perfect relationship with other people. You know, it certainly doesn't mean that life will now all be smooth sailing. But it does mean that whatever storms come, whatever the circumstances, that God is holding on to us and God will bring us to the end. And so starting at verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Trials come in all sorts of different forms and certainly in this letter Peter talks a lot about living as exiles in the world and recognising that we are going to be different to the culture around us. And as Christians now we've got to get used to the idea that the message of the Bible is offensive if you don't believe it's true. You know, how dare Christians say that my behaviour is wrong or that I'm a sinner or that the only way to be saved is through Jesus. You know, that sort of thinking just doesn't fit with the inclusiveness mantra of our culture and it certainly doesn't fit with the predominant view of what love should look like. For our culture, love at the moment is endorsing and embracing the values of the other person. So you either agree with me and love me or you disagree with me and hate me. But for Christians, we have a different view where we say, actually, we can love people and still disagree. And as Christians, we're still going to talk to people about Jesus, even though we know that they will potentially find it offensive because we love them. But for most people, that's not going to be seen as acceptable. And it doesn't matter what our motivation, we're still going to be seen as narrow-minded and self-righteous and bigoted. But trials also come in the form of temptation. And again, this is going to be a big theme right throughout this letter to, of 1 Peter. And so in chapter 2, for example, he writes these words. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So we feel the power of temptation when we know exactly what to do in any given situation, but every ounce of our being wants to do something else. You know, we see it in the way that we talk to other people. Uh, we see it in the way that we talk about other people. Uh, we feel the temptation of lust and greed and envy. And we see it in our lack of contentment, despite the fact that God has given us so many good things. And so often temptation isn't big and bold. 
it makes sin look small and harmless. It's kind of like an M&M. You know, it's just small and it, it won't make any big difference. But of course, before you know it, you've eaten the entire family pack. And trials can also come in the form of tragedy. And this isn't a big theme in this letter of 1 Peter, but it certainly fits in that category of all kinds of trials. And so suffering can come in the form of a chronic illness or an accident, or perhaps the death of someone that we love, or losing our job, or perhaps at the moment, uh, very significantly, that, that feeling of loneliness and isolation. And we don't see anyone else to blame, we don't feel there's anyone else to blame, and so we blame God. And I think in those particular moments it becomes even more difficult when there's no sense of good reason. You know, we can't see what God is hoping to achieve in all of this. And so we can't see an end to our suffering or we just get hit over and over again. It's just one thing after the next until we sort of finally reach a point where we go, you know, is God there at all or God, does God actually care? And so what we're left with at the end is just a hopelessness and a despair. Horatio Spafforth wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul, uh, that we sang at the beginning of this podcast. And his story is one of just tragedy on tragedy. So he was a lawyer in Chicago in the late 1800s, and he lost his first son to pneumonia. Uh, then later in that year, uh, the great Chicago fire uh, swept through the city, and he lost most of his wealth. And then two years later, uh, he's about to travel to Europe with his family, so his wife and four daughters, but he's waylaid for business, and so they go on ahead. And as they're making that journey, they are struck by another ship, and it sinks, and all four daughters die in the accident. And so his wife, Anne, sends him a telegram, and it simply says, all alone, what shall I do? And so Horatio books passage on the next ship. And as he's travelling across to England to meet his wife, he writes that song. And so we hear these words. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The reality of our faith should be seen every day in the way we live. But we see it most significantly in how we persevere when things get tough. And certainly for Peter, he sees two good things coming out of trials. Firstly, our perseverance testifies to the genuineness of our faith. So when you melt gold, then the fire burns off all the dross. And if it really is gold, then what's left is something that is pure and spectacular. And Peter wants to say, our salvation in Christ is even more precious than that. And where gold you know, will come and go, our salvation is forever. So trials reveal the reality of that salvation. God knows who's saved, so it's not revealing it to God, but it reveals it to us. And it gives us confidence in our conviction. Because there's always going to be times, aren't there, in life where we doubt our conviction and we doubt our love. And so sometimes it takes hard things and persevering through hard things to remind ourselves that our faith is genuine and real. And I think the second thing that comes out of it is that it's a testament to those who observe us in those times. When people see us go through hard times 
and they see how we persevere through them and endure through them and how we trust God in them, then it shows them that it's not just a faith for good times. It's a faith that can genuinely withstand all the complexity of life. And hopefully, God willing, as they see us endure and as they see us persevere, they will look to see the God who's behind it and the strength that we get from his grace and mercy and goodness. And the end result of all of this is that we will stand before God and receive his praise and glory and honour. You know, as a child, there's nothing we want more than the praise of our dad. You know, to look at what we've done and just to go, that is awesome. Uh, And even as adults, uh, we want the praise of those people we respect. And certainly as Christians, more than anything else, we want the praise of God. In the words of Jesus, we want God to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And because of what God has done for us, we then read in verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Inexpressible and glorious joy is perhaps one of my favourite phrases in the Bible because it speaks to our thankfulness and our awe of God. You know, I'm not really much of a jump up and down on the couch kind of guy. You know, I'm not very good at being gushing with my praise or being particularly exuberant. But joy is bigger than exuberance. Joy is big enough to include the realities and the complexities of life. It includes sin and trials and temptations and still comes out the other end thankful for God's goodness and mercy. And whatever comes, whatever circumstances we are confronted by, we can still be confident of the salvation that we have in Christ. You know, if you don't feel particularly threatened, then the idea of salvation doesn't sound like very much. But once you realise you're a sinner, then salvation changes our perspective completely. You know, God has created us, God loves us, uh, God has made salvation possible through his son. And that is just a wonderful reality. It's like, you know, we're out in the ocean, two breaths away from drowning, and we're plucked out and we're placed in a five-star hotel and you're know, surrounded by all the people that we love. Yeah, it's not a wishful thinking hope. It's a living hope. Uh, this is what God can promise because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we can be confident that it's true because of the resurrection. And if you think all of this just sounds too good to be true, then praise God that he would offer us so much when we deserve so little. And so we can be thankful for these final words, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Praise God. Amen. We're going to pray now, then we're going to have a chat to one of our 6pm members before joining together in the Lord's Supper. Good evening everyone, my name is Ben and I'll be leading us in prayer this evening. I usually attend the 6pm service and this evening we are going to be praying with the acronym PATH. Praise, Admit, Thanks and Help. Let's start with praise. So prayer isn't just about asking for things, but it also is about telling God the things that we appreciate and love about Him. 
Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you and praise you for the wonderful and awesome God that you are. You love us very much. Thank you for sending your only son, Jesus, that once for all, he died for sin and that he rose again, that we would live eternally with you. And we praise and thank you that all who trust in him are forgiven completely and eternally. Amen. The next is admit. I admit that I'm a sinner and I confess my sins. 1 John 1 8 says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's admit and confess our sins together. Saying, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have gone our own way not loving you as we ought, nor loving our neighbours as ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We deserve your condemnation. Father, forgive us. Please help us to love you and our neighbours and to live for your honour and glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The next one is thanks. And we should thank God for all that he's done and continues to do for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, the time and opportunity to grow and learn together under your word uh, whether it's online, in the podcast, or in our Connect Groups, we bring to you Connect Groups as they continue to meet together even in these uncertain times and that they come together and study and read your word. And I pray that we all grow in our knowledge and love of you. Please grant wisdom and insight to those who lead Connect Groups. Help them to be well-equipped and prepared. And Lord, we also thank you for technology. Now, even in these times, we can still meet together, singing praises, listening and meditating on your word, and bringing our prayers to you, Lord. Amen. The last one is help. This is the time when we can ask for his help and bring our requests to him. We can pray for our own needs or the needs of others. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we pray for all of the members of our church. We pray that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. We pray for our chaplains serving in our hospitals and schools. We pray that they will continue to faithfully minister to all, God's word especially at this time. In this climate, we pray that they will continue to fix their eyes on you and pastorally caring for others. And lastly, Lord, we pray for the government at this time of this crisis. Please give them wisdom and discernment to do what is best for your plan and for your will to bring us through safely onto the other side of this crisis so that we may finally come back together and worship your holy name in the flesh. Amen. John, great to have you with us and great to be able to see you on screen, even though we're not physically together. As we come to a time of the Lord's Supper, can I ask you, do you remember the first time you took the Lord's Supper yourself? Oh, I became aware of the Lord's Supper when I was very young, but I didn't take the Lord's Supper till I was 19. 
I became a Christian when I was 14, but I wasn't baptized mm -hmm. and I wasn't confirmed. And in those days, that was very important. Yeah. But I figured by the time I was 19, obeying Jesus was more important. Yeah. And what did it mean to you from that time on? Uh, it was really significant, Pete, because to me, I'd had to think through all of the issues of baptism and confirmation and the Lord's Supper and what did it really mean. And yeah. so to me, it was very significant. Um, when I was, it always has been. Mm. So, so over the years of, of your ministry uh, in a, a number of locations, how did you see the Lord's Supper uh, building the spiritual life of those under your, your care? I, well, Pete, for me, um, the Lord's Supper is always very significant. It's a place where you need reverence and therefore um, we always took that approach so people came reverently. Mm. In those days, we all came down the front to kneel at the front to take the Lord's Supper. Yeah. We saw in that there was a significant um, uh, bringing yourself forward and kneeling before Christ mm. in humility. So it was always a very deeply spiritual thing from, from my heart and from our heart to the heart of God. There's reverence and awe, but also great joy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because he, has, he won. Yeah. He has won. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. John, as we head into a time of the, uh, the Lord's Supper now, would you mind praying for us uh, before we begin? Okay. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the great privilege we have of sharing in the Lord's Supper, of the reminder of the great love that you gave in sending your Son and of his great love for you in giving his body to be broken and beaten for us. His blood poured out for us. And as we take of the Lord's Supper, help us to see the significance of that more and more in our own life. For the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. So friends, as we come to the Lord's Supper tonight, we come with joyful hearts. We come with thankful hearts. We come with humble hearts. And we come knowing that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, the penalty for our sin is paid in full. As we share the bread and the juice together, we're reminded again of God's great love for us, knowing the goodness of God and the times that we so often fail to respond with love and obedience. Let's confess our sins together in these words on the screen. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son, who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God forgives all who humbly repent and put their trust in the Lord Jesus. And his word to us is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What wonderful, wonderful words. Well, friends, we're going to take a moment now to sing uh, the wonderful words of Amazing Grace.
if in good conscience it wouldn't be right for you to participate in the Lord's Supper today, just use this time to reflect on the depth of God's love for you. We read in the scriptures, The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So friends, take this bread and eat it, remembering that Jesus' body was given for you on the cross. And be thankful. And friends, take the cup and drink it, remembering that Jesus' blood was shed so that our sins could be forgiven and be thankful. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we cannot thank you enough for your grace to us in Christ. By his life, death and resurrection, he declared your love and gave us new birth into a living hope. Please fill our hearts with an inexpressible and glorious joy and loose our tongues to speak of your goodness to us with all who will listen, that they too may find life in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, thanks for being with us tonight. Uh, we've been reminded to find our joy and our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In him we are forgiven and welcomed as children of God in his forever family. And it's so important that we, we don't just nod our heads to these great truths, but we take them on board and allow them to shape our hearts and to shape our lives. And to help us do that, I think there's three things that we can do. Firstly, we can learn to pray, to talk to him. And I think it'd be great if we put into practice that, remember that acronym that Ben shared with us tonight, P-A-T-H. Do you remember what it stands for? You might have to go back and check. But firstly, pray. Secondly, it's good to spend time in God's word together. And here's uh, Amanda, our children's minister, with a great little idea. Have a look. It's called the 555 Challenge. What it is, is five minutes a day, for five days of the week, over five weeks, engaging with God's word in an attainable and regular way. Each week, you will get an email that contains the readings, prayers and songs for the week. You read the passage, answer a few questions together, pray and sing praise to God, or you could even just dance or listen to the songs. This is a great way to kickstart a family devotion time to renew something that you haven't done for a while or simply a new idea. There is no better time than now when we're all at home together to do a challenge like this. Pat is going to lead our family in this and we would love for you to join us. Our Cross Life Kids leaders are going to do it as well. In the comment section, I'll put how you can sign up and please comment and let me know that you're going to join us so that we can encourage one another in this. So we grow in our faith through prayer, we grow in our faith through reading God's Word. 
and we grow in our faith through fellowship with other believers. And I hope that you're uh, enjoying the mutual encouragement of a connect group. We've got so many groups meeting throughout the week and I hope you're part of one of them. If not, please make contact with us so that we can help you get connected. Uh, keep the encouragement going with the comments below and give us a thumbs up so that we know you've been here. And uh, let's uh, say the grace now as we finish our time together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.